Good afternoon. This is the weekly wrap for Friday, August 25th. Well, starting with the macro picture, we had Jerome Powell out this morning. He was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, talking about the markets and inflation. Uh, the, the press conference went off without a hitch for the most part. No, no real drama coming out of there that changed the mood of the market. It was largely, a, you know, considered a conciliatory sort of backhanded uh, praise for their actions and their ability to curb inflation, but that they would remain diligent and that they would remain data dependent and all the things that they've been saying over the last year, year and a half. Um, and that their work on killing inflation was not done. They still maintained a target of 2%, and so they felt like that their job was far from over. In fact, uh, left the door open for another rate hike at some point this year. The market took that with a grain of salt, I guess. They did raise the probability of a rate hike in November, but for the most part, a lot of the uh, rent uh, inflation data continues to roll in. Uh, showing lower and lower rental rates, which should continue to drive the inflation readings down. Uh, The market is considering or sort of asking themselves out loud that is 2% inflation even attainable? Uh, When will the Fed ever admit that it's not and raise their floor to 3%? Well, we got no such hint of that in today's discussion. They're holding very strong and steadfast toward the 2% inflation target. Uh, but their, you know, their biggest concern remains the labor market. Uh, wages, which remain stubbornly strong. Unemployment remains very low. They appear continue to be bothered by that, which is, again, very sad that they're, you know, they feel like they can't get inflation under control until they kill the jobs economy. The problem is the demographics aren't in their favor. We've lost a lot of baby boomers from the workforce permanently. They've decided to retire permanently. We've lost a lot of labor due to deaths during the COVID. And then we have a lot of workers on uh, disability because of COVID and or shots or however you want to look at it. So the, the demographics are not in the Fed's favor of replenishing this workforce unless we go into a recession. So they claim that they're not going to. Several board members uh, talked this week about the idea of a soft landing was still very possible. And so, again, no real drama out of the the Fed meetings here today, which was good news for the market. Stock market sold off a little bit early, but is going to close quite a bit higher here today. The war in Russia continues to fester on. In fact, the only drama coming out of there was the former leader of the Wagner Group, Prigozhin, who led that coup temporarily into Moscow, was assassinated a couple days ago. His plane blew up in midair, and so he is no longer with us. And so not a surprise that anybody that crosses Putin uh, doesn't make it very long, and so that was the drama there. Uh, The political fallout isn't really certain. There are still a lot of Wagner troops out there. Uh, They were worried that maybe they would seek revenge. But a lot of their their camps have been dismantled and or cut off. And so we'll have to see whether that uh, destabilizes the politics within Russia or stabilizes it. Hard to know. Uh, Russia, for the most part, continues to bomb key port infrastructure internally along the Danube. So more and more port infrastructure uh, getting damaged. There was some talk about a European-led coalition of trying to help uh, Ukraine get grain out of their country. 
That's what had the market selling off in midweek. That was pretty much a bogus headline. <clears throat> but, you know, when the funds are negative and they're short grains, they're going to use any negative story in their favor. But the reality is the squeeze on Ukraine capacity to export and, and grow grains continues to get hurt. Uh, the Chinese economy keeps coming in with very soft data. We mentioned the collapse of several large real estate companies. Uh, real estate developers and China is I think deliberately letting that deflate and and uh, not doing a lot in the form of stimulus in, in their economy and I think they're they're quite content to let the housing market slowly um, disintegrate here and then eventually let that bottom out and rebuild uh, that has you know got the market concerned about commodity demand going forward Although, you know, when you're talking about food and feeding their people, hard to draw the line there. We've seen some pretty stout purchases of soybeans from China over the last several weeks. Cotton demand has been relatively soft. Corn demand has been soft. But I do think that some of those, um, cha you know, uh, views of going out with large forward books will change and force them to be more aggressive here over the next six months. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. One of the things that continues to drive global balance sheets are world weather. The Canadian um, crop continues to collapse. Uh, the wheat crop is falling apart. Their canola crop is falling apart. Corn crop is in trouble. Uh, Canada is suffering under horrendous uh, wildfire uh, you know, losses. And so I think uh, we can now have a second year in a row where the Canadian crop has completely fallen apart. That should lead to stronger exports of corn to them, weaker exports of canola, especially into China, uh, and keep the oil and meal market relatively well supported. Uh, we've seen extraordinary heat in Argentina and southern Brazil during their winter months, so there's growing concern about the Argentina's wheat crop. We've seen China with pretty devastating weather early on with extreme heat that we think has dinged their corn and their cotton crop, uh, but then also now severe flooding that we think has hurt their corn and their wheat crop. You'll never get any straight answers out of China. They'll never tell you what they're doing. They're getting more and more secretive about their internal data. <clears throat> it will probably just show up in the form of new export purchases over the next six to eight months. Uh, speaking of weather here, the U.S. weather continues to and not be good for the finishing of this crop. In fact, Pro Farmer came out with their final results on the tour. They pegged the U.S. corn crop at 172, uh, three bushels below where the USDA is right now. They're at 175.1. And then uh, their bean yield was at 49.7, so 1.2 bushels below the, Feder the USDA's report on beans. Uh, if realized, that would take uh, some 267 million bushels of corn off the balance sheet and 100 million bushels of beans off the balance sheet. Uh, this will lay to rest any discussions of a record yield. Uh, we talked about how the, the drought damage done in early June uh, and through the month of June was pretty catastrophic. Even though the, the crops improved through July and August, the damage was just too severe through the month of June to make a, a, a trend line yield. And now certainly with this last 
four to five to six days of record heat, starting in in Texas, working through Oklahoma, Kansas, where you know um, heat units were coming in the 120 to 130 uh, degree uh, spectrum, where you know the heat index between the temperatures and the humidity completely has smoked a lot of crop in Kansas, in Oklahoma, in in uh, western Nebraska. And now the question here is, even if the pro farmer tour is, you know, right uh, at 172 and 49.7 today, what damage has been done to the crop over the last five days? The answer is we don't know, but we know the crops generally are going backwards. The new 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day forecast have it cooling down for a day or two, but then guess what? The heat and the dryness returns through the middle of September. We think that that will further uh, continue to deteriorate the soybean crop, especially because it's later in its development. There's always the old adage that soybeans are made in August. We certainly have done severe damage in the first uh, or last two weeks of August, and now we think that the damage to the crop will continue through the first two weeks of September. So I would I would earmark Pro Farmers number at 49.7, call it 50 bushels, as the high. Now the open-ended question, is it 49, is it 48, or 47? All of those numbers are within striking distance, I believe, depending on how this crop finishes. Obviously, for every one bushel loss, it has a catastrophic impact on the balance sheet. We'll talk about that here in just a second on price. Corn has a little bit bigger of a buffer with only a 300 million bushel loss. The balance sheet should remain uh, relatively stable if the 172 is correct. Question there again is what does this late heat do to the final filling of the crop and or what is the first two weeks of September of extraordinary heat and dryness due to the corn crop? Do we lose another two or three bushels? Do we lose another five or seven bushels? The answer is I don't know. You know my view all along has been we were at 170 on corn and that we were probably below 50 on beans or at looks like uh, for the moment that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. But what I don't know here going forward is what will, what did the last week of 100 degree heat uh, well into Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin do to the crop? And what will this heat over the next two weeks continue to do to the crop? There will be additional losses to what scale we just won't know. Um, along the lines there, West Texas, um, did get a reprieve in some of the heat for just a few days, but now it will return back to record heat, back to record dryness. That same 7 to 10, 8 to 14 day forecast shows extraordinary heat in West Texas. And I think that crop is in complete collapse mode now. Um, we should expect um, a lot of insurance claims coming in late this year. The farmers can't start that process till middle of September. So there's no way to assess the scale of the abandonment in some of the fundamental analysis that I've done in cotton. Uh, if we end up with a closer to 25 to 30% abandonment, if we finally acknowledge this lower planted acreage number, you know, the government right now is at 14 million bales. We might come in at 13 and a half or 13 million bales. Uh, if that's the case, then the government's gonna have to offset every, that, uh, every you know, bale loss with demand destruction. And so, we, you know, pretty similarly across the board here for, for beans and for cotton and even for wheat, the scale of the losses in production are requiring massive losses in demand. Now, for the most part, demand has been weak. 
And so that's why the market doesn't seem concerned. Uh, but at some point when demand rears its head, and I do believe that it will, I think the losses in China are pretty catastrophic. And some of these crops that will ultimately force their hand back into the market, we're just not going to have it. And I think China is missing a key opportunity to lock up some of these crops at our, what are very low prices. So I think if the cotton crop ends up closer to 13 million bales, we are easily going to break that 90 cent target. But we've got some work to do to get through that first. As far as pricing goes, you know, corn was down about 5 cents on the week. Soybeans were up 34 cents. Kansas City wheat was up 4. Chicago wheat was down 18. Cotton was up 3.7 cents on the week for the December contract. So where are we adding up all of this uh, on our marketing approach? Well, obviously, I, you know, I believe that $5 corn is just way, way too cheap. The market is dialing in this 2 billion bushel carryout that ultimately will be wrong, uh, not because of only yield, but I think demand is understated. Why? Because I think soybean meal is headed back to $450, $500 a ton. Uh, I think you know pretty soon here, corn will be the cheapest commodity in the world. And it, it just uh, will, but ultimately demand will come in and clean that up. The wheat supply is down. The bean supply will be down. Canola will be down. Uh, India is out banning uh, all kinds of exports now on rice, on wheat, on sugar was the new one this week. And so as global economies get more protectionist, corn is just going to look cheaper and cheaper. Ultimately, the demand is coming in. So my range on corn continues to be this upper $4 area as the lows, $6 area as the high. So we're going to continue to work within that range and build our marketing skills, our marketing prices around that. For the moment, 521 is immediate resistance on Dece corn. Then after that, 560. So we're going to have to get through those levels before we get close to the demand uh, pricing that we need. For soybeans, we did um, right away this week fill the gap left in the chart at 13.79. We immediately pulled back and tested the 200-day support at 13.31, but we did have a very nice close here uh, for the end of the week here, closing at 13.87, opening the door to a retest of that famous 14.25 area that we've used several times for marketing. It does look like we're headed back toward that area. So any of you that are undermarketed on this first 25, maybe 30% of your crop, it looks like to me we're going to go retest that 1425 area. Make sure you use that area to get caught up on sales. If we end up losing another bushel off the balance sheet that requires 100 million bushels of demand destruction, that will, that will push the market, I believe, back toward the $15 area where we will advance sales. If the crop losses are closer to two or three bushels per acre, you're talking about you know, catastrophic losses on U.S. soybeans that ultimately will force a move to that $16 area, maybe higher on beans. So that's why we're going to stick to this plan, stay disciplined, and use these key resistance areas. This 1425 is the first target. Next target is 1495. And then ultimately, the final move to 16 
if and when we can verify the scale of these losses on soybeans, which is again not likely till after the first of the year. We will get harvest data in the upper Midwest on corn and beans starting in October. So maybe if the combines roll at that point, the harvesting uh, confirms yield losses, we may get that spike in beans sooner than that. For wheat, of course, I remain stubbornly bullish, still looking for a retest of $9 in Chicago wheat, still looking for $10 in Kansas City wheat. Those are my long-term targets. For cotton, with the scale of these losses starting to gather more and more attention in the market, um, it does look like we're going to go test that 90 cent area, giving us that opportunity to market that first 20, maybe 25% of our crop at 89.25, 89.50. Let's make sure we have those orders in just below that area of resistance and get that first layer marketed. If there's any way we can clear 90 cents and trade above it and stay above it, it will open the trading range from uh, what has been an 80 to 90 cent market. It will open up that door now from a to a 90 cent to 103 market. Um, so we have, you know, obviously a lot of work to do to get through that resistance area first. But if we can't accomplish that, then it will open the door to a new trading range of roughly 10 cents a pound, where if we get back into that mid to upper 90s, we would do additional marketing. So that's the plan for now. I think we have enough supply uh, loss uh, that will ultimately get us through those targets. So remain patient on cotton. Okay, that's the update. Hope you have yourself a wonderful weekend. These are my opinions and not those of ADM or ADMIS. Take care.